Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube through video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good. This is the first threat intel briefing of the year 2023. This is going to cover the week of January 1st, 2023 through January 7th, 2023. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way I know that you enjoy the content and that way YouTube keeps serving it up to you. And also, if you want to listen on podcasting platform or if that's where you're listening, make sure to subscribe on there as well and leave a review. Let me know how you're enjoying the show. If you want to hear about different things or uh, see different kind of content on the YouTube channel and use the YouTube uh, comments for that as well. Make sure to check out the description because there will be a link to the show notes so you can check out all the articles that we're talking about and read a little bit more about them as well as some other articles that we don't necessarily uh, get a chance to talk about, but they're also important events that have happened throughout the week as well. So without any further delay, let's go ahead and hop into the first briefing for the new year. So first article, Lockbit Ransomware claims attack on Port of Lisbon in Portugal. Cyber attack hitting the Port of Lisbon administration, APL, the third largest port in Portugal on Christmas Day, has been claimed by the Lockbit Ransomware gang. The Port of Lisbon is part of the critical infrastructure in Portugal's capital city, being one of the most accessed ports in Europe due to its uh, strategic location and serving container ships, cruise ships, and pleasure crafts. According to a company statement shared, by, uh, shared with local media outlets on Monday, the cyber attack did not impact the port's operations. Ransomware gang claims to have stolen financial reports, audits, budgets, contracts, cargo information, ship logs, crew details, customer PII, which is personal identifiable information, port documentation, email correspondence, and more. Lockbit threatens to publish all files they stole during the computer intrusion uh, on January 18th, 2022, if their pay- uh, 2023 rather, if their payments aren't met, $1.5 million uh, ransom or 1,000 to delay the publication of data for 24 hours. An interesting point here is that Lockbit offers to sell the data for the same amount to anyone wishing to access them immediately and exclusively. So, you know, with this, this kind of brings some things into mind here, right? So first of all, critical infrastructure, right? Any kind of critical infrastructure for a company, uh, for a country, so ports of entry, uh, railways, power plants, satellites are becoming a really important issue. All these things, we become so reliant on them that they become increasingly important, right? Which means more controls have to get in place, there's more regulations that are enforced if you're a company that operates something related to those or if you're creating a product or service related to those. So critical infrastructure is really important. And with this, this is the, the port uh, ports. So where they're doing some commerce and uh, dealing with ships and things like that, you know, it, it's really important, right? And you just have to, uh, you have to be very cautious in those kind of environments. Those kind of environments, if you're not familiar with you know, how they operate, 
they typically have a lot of audits and things like that that are done on those kind of uh, pieces of infrastructure because you have to make sure that they're secure, right? Uh, especially with something like uh, satellites, you know, where they might be communicating with people that are on a battlefield or something like that, right? So it's really important that um, uh, that you know you protect those and that you you comply with regulators and kind of do what they're asking for in a lot of cases. The interesting thing, and this is kind of the last point that we made from the article, was that uh, you know Lockbit offering to sell the data for the same amount to anyone wishing to access them immediately and exclusively. We don't always see that kind of uh, interaction or that kind of offer from some of these ransomware groups. So it's kind of interesting just to uh, just to see that, right? Like that, that goes to kind of their, their strategy. You know, what is your attacker or your enemy or your adversary's strategy and what they're doing? You know, first of all, to go after this port, but then again, to offer that access uh, to somebody else that's willing to just pay it, right? Like apparently they just care about the money. They don't care necessarily about that specific port maybe or the information that they've actually uh, captured. So uh, really, really kind of interesting just from that, that standpoint there. Next article, Google paid $29.5 million to settle lawsuits over user location tracking. Google has agreed to pay a total of $29.5 million settled two different lawsuits brought by Indiana and Washington, D.C. over its deceptive location tracking practices. The search and advertising giant is required to pay $9.5 million to D.C. and $20 million to Indiana after the state sued the company for charges that the company tracked users' location without their express consent. The settlement adds to the $391.5 million that Google agreed to pay to 40 states over similar allegations last month. The company is still facing two more location tracking lawsuits in uh, Texas and Washington. So, you know, <laughs> with the amount of data that companies are taking in from their users and from the services that they're providing, right, that aggregation of all that data, you know, companies are more and more just holders of so much data, right? That's the whole idea with like uh, business intelligence and data warehousing and just that massive amount of data that they're taking in. With this, you know, this is a very interesting kind of company, right? Google and other interesting companies would be like Facebook and like all these social media platforms because they're just taking in so much data, right? But specifically with things like phones, right? So Google with Android, uh, Apple with iPhone, you know, they inherently have a little bit more access to some of your data on your mobile devices, so on your phones, right? And, you know, in this case, you can't be deceptive as far as what kind of information you're, you're gathering. The scary kind of thing that we see with a lot of applications is that they do have access to a lot of this information, right? And if Google is just taking in this information, this location tracking data, well, then who are they able to give that data to, right? What are they able to provide to their, um, their application developers or the people that are producing applications? Do they get access to that data as well? And you kind of go down the rabbit hole with that uh, argument, with that stance, because you know, are 
these companies capturing or able to capture way too much data, right? And then the scary thing is too, right, is it's kind of reactive. So we find out after, you know, a year or a couple of years or a while that these companies are just gathering all this information, right? We don't find out on day one and then it's kind of stopped or they kind of just have a very limited subset of data. You know, they've been collecting data for years probably. And so it's, it's pretty scary. From a cybersecurity standpoint or career standpoint, you know, this is where privacy matters, right? Privacy is becoming in a very important area in uh, data collection and in companies. So, you know, with that being said, if you're looking for an emerging area, you know, obviously I talked a lot about cloud, right? But privacy is one of those areas that is not slowing down. We're seeing states that are enacting privacy regulations. We've seen in Europe, things like GDPR and other privacy regulations that are in place. And where uh, typically with like Europe, they've had some stricter requirements than a place like the United States, but we are seeing a lot of states that are kind of taking it upon themselves and they're creating their own legislation. And we're seeing companies get punished by it, right? We're seeing comp uh, these states just go after these companies because they really are doing some deceptive things or um, you know, collecting a lot of data and not really accurately or securely protecting it in a way that they should be. So privacy, right? Privacy is gonna be an issue ongoing for a long time. We're gonna keep talking about it on this show because it's just, it's not going away, right? So keep that in mind. Uh, next article, ransomware gang apologizes, gives side ki uh, sick kids hospital free decryptor. Lockbit ransomware gang has released a free decryptor for the hospital for uh, sick children, sick kids, saying one of its members violated rules by attacking the healthcare organization. Sick Kids is a teaching and research hospital in Toronto that focuses on providing healthcare to sick children. It's forbidden to encrypt institutions, and this is one of the rules, it's, a, it's forbidden to encrypt institutions where damage to the files could lead to death, such as cardiology centers, uh, neurosurgical departments, maternity hospitals, and the like, that is, those institutions where, sur uh, where surgical procedures on high-tech equipment using computers may be performed, explains the ransomware operations policies. So, you know, uh, malicious groups, ransomware groups, they have a heart, right? It, it's, you know, it's always interesting with these groups, kind of where they draw the line, right? Like where they draw the line and what you can do with their, their malware. And then when groups do it or when people do it, do they take action, right? Like, do they, uh, do they go after those groups? Do they cut them off? Do they... Uh, give a remedy to whatever their malware or ransomware did, right? In this case, we obviously see that a decryptor apparently has been provided to decrypt the, the information at this, um, this hospital. Obviously, that's a good thing, right? Like from a, um, from a grand, uh, grand perspective, an oversight perspective, that's a positive thing, right? We're, we're seeing at a, a, a hospital that a decryptor was given to decrypt that information where life is at risk, right? That's kind of one of the things in general, right? With cybersecurity or really with anything, if life is at risk, you know, 
naturally, just inherently, people tend to have kind of that perspective where, um, you know, they don't want to see that kind of harm, that catastrophic harm brought onto somebody, right? So from that perspective, it is good. Um, it's interesting, you know, I don't think that we've really seen it be this publicized before where um, one of these groups has kind of been like, no, and taken a stance against some of the people using their service. Um, I, I think we're starting to see that a little bit more or starting to see steps towards that a little bit more because it's kind of, um, you know, in society, there's a lot of um, a lot of people that are trying to take stances against something, right? Like take their stances against their moral beliefs or their ethical beliefs and really go after it. So um, it's definitely interesting to see. Again, we haven't really seen it, um, you know, publicized like this one. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if we see other groups that kind of take similar kinds of actions, especially with like ransomware, right? Ransomware is an ongoing problem. That can be catastrophic, right? Like it can take businesses out of commission because all their data is encrypted and they're not willing to pay or they can't pay. So, you know, uh, very interesting. Uh, next article, Sam Bankman Fried. Uh, founder of the crypto exchange FTX has pleaded not guilty to fraud and other charges. Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, founder and former CEO of collapsed cryptocurrency exchange FTX, appeared in a federal court in Manhattan on Tuesday afternoon and pleaded not guilty to eight counts of defrauding customers, laundering money, and violating campaign finance laws. Bankman-Fried's uh, trial was set for October 2nd. If convicted of all the charges, faces up to 115 years of prison. An unsealed indictment said that the crypto uh, entrepreneur knowingly devi uh, devised a scheme to defraud his customers. The U.S. attorney said at a press conference that FTX was one of the biggest financial frauds in U.S. history and that Bankman Fried used the allegedly stolen money for his personal benefit. In November, after investors rushed to withdraw their funds from FTX, fearing that it was about to collapse, company declared bankruptcy and Bankman Fried st uh, stepped down as CEO. It later emerged that the crypto exchange had been moving customer money into uh, Almeida Research, a crypto hedge fund owned by Bankman Fried. So the cryptocurrency world is riddled with issues, right? <laughs> like we see things all the time. We talk about things all the time on this show that, you know, there's just all kinds of issues with it, right? Um, and that is something that you have to keep in mind if you're going to invest in cryptocurrency. If you wanna work in cryptocurrency or you wanna work in an emerging area, obviously cryptocurrency is an emerging area, but you know, we still just see so many issues with it, right? There's a lot of people that talk about cryptocurrency in that world as being you know, the, the next thing, right? Like the, that is going to be where the world is going to go. But we continue to see all these kinds of issues. So it's, you know, it's concerning, right? And because there's not a lot of regulation on cryptocurrency in a lot, you know, a lot of cases, there continues to be issues, right? Obviously in the, the normal world, right? Like the normal currency world, there's all kinds of issues there too. And we've had, you know, catastrophic issues as far as um, lending money and collapses and uh, recessions and all this stuff, right? Like I'm not saying that the, the regular uh, industry, the regular world is not full of issues, right? 
but you know it's a little bit more secure with how things are right like we don't see as much of this catastrophic kinds of issues and when we do we see recovery we see things ideally getting fixed uh, controls are getting put into place to prevent things ideally but we just don't see that as much in the crypto world right we see a lot of issues not a lot of resolution so um you know who's to say that cryptocurrency won't be the next thing right uh, but we do continue to see a lot of issues with that world so that is something to keep in mind if you're looking for an area to go into that's emerging definitely check it out because it could be a really cool area to go into if you're risk adverse right you've, you've got to be able to handle the ups and downs of that world not just if you're an investor but if you're going to go work there too because you know there there's risk right there's risk anywhere but there is risk for sure there Guardian ransomware attack hits uh, week two as staff told to work from home. Longstanding British newspaper, newspaper, The Guardian, has told staff to continue to working from home and notified the UK's data privacy watchdog about the security breach following a suspected ransomware attack before Christmas. The publication broke the news about the serious IT incident on its systems on December 21 and said that the attack affected parts of its company's technology infrastructure. At the time, it told staff to work from home. Also this week, The Guardian confirmed that most of its staff in the UK, US, and Australia would continue working from home till at least January 23rd. So we've talked about The Guardian issue uh, on this show. And you know, one of the things with that is, think about this, if you're in a business and you get hit by ransomware, right? And some of your infrastructure goes out, your, uh, your physical building, right? Like maybe it floods, right? I, I've seen that happen before. But, you know, one of these things happens. What is your plan B? What is your business continuity plan? What is your disaster recovery plan? And how do you approach recovering and making sure the business can still run while you get everything back up and going? That's maybe a little bit less critical, right? If you've ever looked into these kind of plans or this kind of planning, these kind of policies, you know, business continuity how do we make sure the critical things are running so that we continue to make money we continue to operate with the most critical things and then disaster recovery how do we get all of that back so we're back to fully functioning and we're back to normal states right so all of that stuff matters and it starts with planning right you can't just have something happen and expect everything to fall into place right like all the pieces you can't expect that to happen if you don't know where your data is, what systems are critical, what processes are critical, um, you know, who is involved in these processes, the, the, um, the, call, the, um, the call tree, right? Like uh, the phone tree. So who do you call? Who do you contact? Who has to actually declare these plans to actually, uh, to actually execute, right? All that stuff matters and you have to test it, right? It's not so much that you just put it in a place and hope it goes well. You also have to test it either with tabletop exercises or physically testing the technology, making sure that things work. And this is a great example of that, right? If you haven't tested your plans, you know, you're gonna run into issues, right? It's just, it's 
that's how it is. I don't know how, other, uh, how else to say it because testing them is so crucial. It's just like with backups, right? A lot of people talk about like backup plans or making sure that you have backups. And yes, backups are important, but if you don't test them, then what is the point to having a backup? You don't know if that backup works. So does your process really work? We don't know because you haven't tested it. So it's the same idea. Um, and it's a really interesting actually area to, to look into and to be in because you have to be very forward thinking about what could happen and understand you know, the business, understand those processes and who was involved and really go through the steps of making sure that that stuff is documented out and that you, uh, if something happens, you, know, you have a pretty solid plan. Things happen, of course, and you know, everything might not work out, but the more that you can test it and more you can have in place and planned for when something does happen, the better off you'll be, I guarantee that. So uh, let's see here. Next article, PyTorch discloses malicious dependency chain compromise over holidays. PyTorch has identified a malicious dependency with the same name as the framework's uh, Torch, Triton, Torch Triton library. This has led to a successful compromise via the dependency confusion attack vector. PyTorch admins are warning users who installed PyTorch nightly over the holidays to uninstall the framework and the counterfeit uh, Torch Triton dependency. This malicious dependency of PyPy shares, names, uh, shares a name with the official library published on the PyTorch's nightly uh, repo. But when fetching dependencies in the Python ecosystem, PyPy normally takes precedence, causing the malicious package to get pulled on your machine instead of PyTorch's legitimate one. Since the PyPy uh, index takes precedence, this malicious package was being installed instead of the version from our official repository. This is a quote. This design enables somebody to register a package by the same name as the one that exists in a third-party index, and PIP will install their version by default, writes PyTorch team in a disclosure published yesterday. So supply chain security, right? If you haven't been watching the show, Supply chain security is really important. Supply chain security means that you know where you're getting your, your software or your dependencies from, your products, your services, everything that you're using in your product and service. And you know, so you know where it's coming from, right? So the direct correlation. And you also know third parties, right? So not just that party, but the other parties, right? And you know how all that operates, right? It's very important. I mean, in this kind of situation, it's kind of one of those things where they took advantage of this kind of uh, vulnerability. And I don't know that you really could have done too much as far as avoiding it necessarily because of how things are set up. It's not something that you would necessarily have configured, right? You're getting this other library and their setup is kind of janky. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, supply chain security, uh, in general is really important to make sure that you understand where you're getting things from, right? Because even then you can still track uh, those vendors and you can see when vulnerabilities or issues are published out in the wild or on the internet and you can track those things, right? So that it's really important from that perspective and not just necessarily, um, not just necessarily the implementation of it, right? So 
make sure that you uh, pay attention to any kind of news releases from your vendors, right? And if you, they get anything from somewhere else, make sure you pay attention to those too, because you don't want to be in a situation where you don't know what you have, right? <laughs> so really, really um, important here. Uh, mal malvertising campaigns, campaign masker ads abuses Google ads. Yardo Lab researchers uncovered a mal malvertising campaign tracked as masker ads and attributed to a threat actor known as Vermux that's abusing Google ads to target users that are searching for popular software. The campaign aims at delivering tainted versions of popular software that deploy malicious payloads on the user's machine, including information stealing malware such as Raccoon Stealer and Vidar. The threat actors behind the campaign use domains with typo squatted names that appeared at the top of Google search results. So if you don't know what typo squatted names are, basically think of uh, a domain name, but slightly change the spelling, right? So like Google, instead of being Google, it's G-O-O-O-O-G-L-E, right? Like with an extra O or YouTube with an extra E, right? Um, whatever the case is, they basically are trying to get domain names that are so close and uh, that are basically mis uh, frequently misspelled, right? So if um, you know, people frequently switch letters in a name, then you would get that domain name and you would use that as an attacker. But that, that's basically the idea here. Uh, the threat actor used a set of benign sites which were designed to trick visitors into clicking on them and then redirect them to rogue sites. And of course, because they were at the top of the search results, that kind of legitimizes it a little bit, or you know, at least from the regular user standpoint, that legitimizes it a little bit. Some of the software that was impersonated by the threat actors are Grammarly, Malwarebytes, Afterburner, Zoom, Slack, Brave, and Tor. So user education, right? Gotta, uh, gotta educate your users and make sure that they understand the sites that they're going to and the things that they might be looking for that they could fall victim to, right? Typo squatting is a prime example, something that a general user is going to fall for, right? It's just how it is. So you have to train them to be pretty cautious and pretty, uh, pretty meticulous when they're looking at domain, uh, when they're looking at links and they're clicking things in emails and things like that. So yeah, definitely be careful on that. Uh, this one's interesting. Ongoing Flipper Zero phishing attack targets uh, InfoSec community. New phishing campaign is exploiting the increasing interest of security community members towards Flipper Zero to steal their personal information and cryptocurrency. Flipper Zero is a portable multifunction cybersecurity tool for pen testers and hacking enthusiasts. The tool allows a researcher to tinker with a wide range of hardware by supporting RFID emulation, digital access, key cloning, radio communications, NFC, infrared, Bluetooth, and more. Threat actors are now taking advantage of the immense interest in Flipper Zero and its lack of availability by creating fake shops pretending to sell it. At first glance, uh, one of the uh, fake Twitter names trying to sell Flipper Zeros appears to have the same handle as the official Flipper Zero account. However, in reality, it uses a capital I in its name, which looks uh, just like an L on Twitter. So, yeah, uh, if you don't know what the Flipper Zero is, Go check it out on YouTube. Definitely uh, Google that and you'll see it. It's a pretty cool little device that you can use. Um, you know, people, we've seen people use it like on Teslas or like uh, saves and, you know, some other things, right? Uh, it's a pretty cool device. But 
it's super hard to find, right? Super hard to find. If you go to their website, it's like you can't get it to ship to the United States. And, you know, people are like randomly sometimes coming up with one. But yeah, it's super hard to get. You can't just go onto Amazon and purchase one and get it delivered to your door right now. And it's been like that for a little bit. But um, especially tools like that, it's just interesting going after people that you know are supposed to be security conscious, but you're going after the fact that they want it so much that they're just going to kind of avoid and ignore some of the warning signs. You know, pretty, pretty interesting. Interesting. That just shows, uh, goes to show you that security professionals are susceptible to, right? Like if you work in this industry, don't think you're bulletproof just because you got your CISSP or something, right? Or your security plus you're not right. We all are potentially um, prone to falling and becoming victims, right? To some of this stuff. So you just have to be very cautious and meticulous and avoid scams, right? Like when in doubt, Google it, make sure you typed everything out, right? Like do all these things that are very, very basic. And um, hopefully you minimize the amount of situations that you put yourself into. Let's see here. Russia's ri uh, Russia risks causing IT worker flight with remote working law. Russia's buffeted IT sector risks losing more workers in the new year because of the planned legislation on remote working as authorities try to lure back some of the tens of thousands who have gone abroad without prompting them to cut ties completely. Having relatively portable jobs, IT workers featured prominently among the many Russians who fled after Moscow, Moscow uh, sent its army into Ukraine February 24th, and the hundreds of thousands who followed when a military call-up began in September. The government estimates that 100,000 IT specialists are currently working for Russian companies overseas. Now, legislation is being mooted for early this year that could ban remote working for some professions. So imagine that, right? We know that remote working is kind of growing as far as in companies, more companies are kind of being on board with allowing remote work. But... What if your country, right, your home country, they ban remote working, right? Or they ban the idea of being in another country or, and remote working, right? How does that influence you? There's gonna be some people for sure that's gonna influence, especially uh, with remote working just in general, right? What if the United States, for example, right? Cause I live in the United States. What if they ban remote working? How many people would that irritate? and just like drive nuts, right? There'd be so many people that would just be so irritated, not only before all this stuff that's happened over the last couple of years, but now too, right? How it's become more of a, a mainstay in our society. And if the government bans remote working, I would be irritated, right? Like that'd be terrible. So um, it's, I mean, it is Russia, right? So there's other issues that exist with that. But, um, you know, it's interesting, the idea of just banning remote working. I think that is, uh, that's overall not good for people, right? Eliminating choice is typically not good. So um, this will be one that I kind of want to keep an eye on because I'm just, I'm curious what kind of backlash that this is going to have from a lot of these people, right? And especially like IT workers, right? IT is the same in you know, like Russia as it is in like the United States, just as far as like you have servers, you have routers, you have switches, 
you have firewalls, you have all this stuff, a lot of which can be done remotely, but you're being forced to go in, right? Like, uh, I don't know. That, that's kind of harsh. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll have to track this one for sure. So with that, that's going to be the last article for this week. Again, this was your first briefing, first threat intel briefing for the new year, for 2023. This covers the week of January 1st, 2023 through January 7th, 2023. Again, I'm your host, John Good. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Leave me a comment. Let me know if you enjoyed the show, if you want to see any other kind of content, not just related to this show. If you're listening on podcasting platform, make sure to subscribe and then also leave a review. Let me know what you think about the show. And then also check the description either on podcast or on YouTube because there will be a link to the show notes where you can check out all these articles that we talked about to see more in depth about the articles and actually read the full thing. There's also other articles that we did not get to this week, but uh, that are also good ones to actually check out and see and just be aware of. But with that, I want to thank you for joining me this week, and I will see you next time.